0: I have been applying my mind to how we should start the year or how I should start the year. Nick Chadwick two weeks ago spoke about forget not all his benefits. And they are umpteen. There are many of them, many, many benefits. And he listed a couple during his message. And then last week, John T. spoke about the faithfulness of God. And we sung that wonderful hymn about his faithfulness. And this morning and for the next few weeks, the way I'm going to start the year is just looking at Jesus. And it's nice to center things on Jesus. The, um, I've been reading some books as I do when I prepare. I've been reading Mike Pickle's book, A Passion for Jesus, which is quite nice and anecdotal. He peppers his chapters with all sorts of personal things. And then I've been reading this and I know this guy became quite a... a controversial pastor because some things he did, but some of his material is amazing. Mark Driscoll's book on vintage Jesus. And then I have a couple of other books which I can't show you like that. They're digital. Uh, R.C. Sproul's book on Jesus and so on. So I'm, I'm just trying to learn about Jesus. But obviously the place we need to go to is the scriptures. We need to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And out of the 66 books in the Bible, we got four about essentially the three-year lifespan of Jesus' ministry. There obviously are chapters at the beginning of Luke and Matthew and Mark which get us to that point of his three-year ministry, but essentially that's what those, those wonderful Gospels are about. And we needed four Gospels so that we can get every aspect that we need to see about Jesus because the central person of all history is Jesus, no one has had a bigger impact in all history than Jesus, which is quite crazy because, you know, as one of these authors described him, there was a season in his life where he was homeless. He was wandering around, sleeping on the hills with his band of disciples. That's not his whole life, obviously. Most of his life, he was working in his father's carpentry business, which probably meant he was part of the building trade, doing all sorts of things in carpentry we don't know exactly what side of carpentry he was in but that's what his father was and that's what he was doing and but that's that's who he was this rabbi for three years who was then crucified and then rose again but he had no headquarters there he owned no property that we know of he wasn't married because uh, he was to get a wife later of much greater glory which isn't our subject for today but Without SMS, without cell phone, without computer network, without book that he penned, without treaty or manifesto that he penned, he told some simple parables and pointed people to what had been revealed in the Old Testament scriptures. And then from there, God inspired by his spirit others to write about him. And yet, all of history is divided by this person, Jesus and so we want to have a look at Jesus for these next few weeks and I'll give you some quotes as the weeks go but I don't want to make the whole first message just about a sort of an introduction to Jesus I want to get to looking at a verse about Jesus and the verse I want to go to is John 10:10 and uh, it's easy to remember John 10:10 um this is, this is one that people do put in their fridges on the back of their cars and carry as a life verse or on their WhatsApp status or whatever it might be. So it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. And then Jesus proclaims what he's come to do. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, make it alive to us. You have come that we might have life and have it abundantly that's what we want Lord we want what you've come for and we want it in your mighty name Jesus amen what a wonderful verse I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly I want to read you what how the NIV puts the end of that sentence it says I have come that they may have life and have it to the full the new living translation my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life English Standard Version, I've read that to you, the Berean Standard Bible, I've come that they may have life and have it in all its fullness. Well, I want to unpack a little bit today of what that fullness would be and how we should anticipate it, because it's not just your life isn't you know, you're operating a little bit below par, so you need something to give you a little bit of elixir to make it a little bit better, and then you'll enjoy your days a whole lot more. It's, that's not what this verse is talking about. There's much more in it than that. And I want us to focus on a few things so that we can learn about that. And one of our ways into looking at Jesus is gonna be what I did all the way through my children's primary school years. Uh, during their primary school years, I forget at different seasons who was doing the car lifts, but I, I made an effort at the beginning, somewhere at the beginning of each term and at the close of each term to do the car lift and drive, do the school route. In those days, we live in, in Lower Kenilworth and below the railway line. In those days, the railway line boom was always shut and we had to make our way around and we had various other routes. But there was a particular route under a bridge and over a bridge again to cross out the Wetton Bridge. And as we reached the bridge, that was my moment because I knew that from there until the school gates, I had enough time to just talk. And I wanted to, at the beginning and the end of each term, help Ben and Jem understand what's most important to me in the whole world and that is Jesus and the scriptures and church, those three things, which is why Treasure House is also doing that for these next three weeks. And when it was Jesus, I wanted them to know seven things about Jesus. Because there's seven things that separate Jesus from any other human being. I mean, there are obviously many more than that. But there's seven big things. And the first big thing is that his life was foretold. His life was foretold. Over 300 times in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament Scriptures, there are references forward to what Jesus would be like and what he would accomplish. And why he was coming. And we're not going to go and look at all 300, but we are going to look at some of the prominent ones, some of the significant ones. And they are amazing. There's this incredible foreshadowing and prophesying of this Messiah who was to come, King of the Jews, and what He would do. And we're going to have a look at some of that over these next few weeks, and we're going to have a look at one particular point related to that this morning. So that's the first thing that I wanted them to know, that why is Jesus different to all others? I'd ask the question. And some, I got some good answers, you know, from young minds in the car. Um, but as the years progressed, they became more and more accurate to the point where, yeah, we know He was prophesied about and He lived a sinless life and He died on a cross and then He rose again and then He ascended. We know, Dad, you told us that at the beginning of the term, now it's the end of the term and it's like a few years into primary school now, you know. Well, I'm glad it got into them in that kind of a way. And so we're going to focus on those things. So he was, he was spoken of before he came. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is the soon coming King and Judge. Those seven things are the things we're going to look at when we focus on Jesus. There are many things we could look at with regard to Jesus' life. He, he, he was unbelievably smart and gave simple answers to very erudite people who tried to trap him with their questions about the Old Testament. But he always showed them that he knew what was going on in their hearts anyway. That's an amazing thing about Jesus. There are many, many amazing things about Jesus' life. You might say, well, what about the miracles, Andrew? Well, there are other people who've done miracles and claim to do miracles. I don't know of anyone who's sent demons into animals. I don't know of anyone who's walked on water. Oh, actually, there are accounts of people who walked on water in the revival in Indonesia. There are accounts of kids walking across swollen, flooding rivers, and they made it across by faith. Anyway, for most miraculous happenings on this earth, the Lord has blessed people to walk in them. Blind eyes opening. So that's not the thing that separates Jesus from all others. But these seven things which we're going to look at do certainly separate Jesus from all others. No one had their place of birth prophesied hundreds of years before they came and had been written and recorded so that no one can dispute that it actually happened. That happened in Jesus' life. Prophesied about how he was gonna die. Just amazing details, and we'll have a look at some of those. But let's look at the wording of the sentence that we've read. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I want us to just notice that word life, because um, our English understanding of that word life can vary, and it's used in a number of different instances in our sentences and in our thinking. But in Greek, there are three words for life, all right? There's the word bios, from which we get the word biology, speaking of biological life, plants, plants. Etc. and many study that. What is it? Life sciences now. What do they call it? Is that what it's called these days? Anyway, we call it biology in our day. It comes from the Greek word bios, and that's speaking about biological life. And the New Testament scriptures use this word. We're not going to go and look at all those texts, but it's used there. Then there's psuche, which is, from which we get the word psychology, which means soul life or internal life or your mental life. Uh... And it's used in the scriptures, speaking about that part of us which has a knowledge of things and life. But then there's this word zoe, and I don't want you to associate it with zoology, even though that is the origin of the word zoology, because it's speaking about actual animals or human beings who have got that kind of a life within them. Because this word in the New Testament is actually used to describe a God kind of life. A life which God gives, which He has eternally within Him. And He's given to be in the Son, which the Son has come to give to us. Alright? So, I've never met someone, but I've met many. I've never met someone who's called Bios. This is my son, Bios. But I've met many who've introduced me to their son, or particularly daughter. This is Zoe. Met a Zoe, any of you? Anyone got the name Zoe here? I can't, they have got a quite bright light behind me there, but I met one or two Zoes, and I met one in particular who I thought, now this girl actually animates what the word means. She, she really is full of life, and she's full of God kind of life. I met one person whose name was Zoe, and I started talking to her about her name, and she didn't even know what the origin <laughs> of the name was. <laughs> it's like, what is the point of naming your child Zoe if you're not going to let them know what the purpose of it is? Anyway, um, if you go and Google it, y- you might find that there's an organization called Zoe which helps people to, you know, you, <laughs> is it worth paying for Zoe was one of the articles that came up. You can sub- subscribe to this platform, Zoe, which will help you improve your life in various ways. So it becomes, you know, Google is a bit of a minefield when you start looking. But if you just open a Bible dictionary, right, Bible dictionary, and you find these words there and what they represent, this word, Zoe, means God kind of life. That, The quality and quantity of life, which only God can give. And that's what we're focusing on today. Now this morning, I'm hoping, it's going to be a fairly short sermon. I only want you to go away with an understanding that we're going to be looking at Jesus for these next few weeks and that there's this wonderful verse in the book of John where there's this contrast given between the enemy, Satan, devil, who has come to rob, kill, and destroy versus Jesus who comes to give life the abundant living kind of life. So many ministries have been named abundant life ministries or abundant life church based on this verse. And the understanding of it is, and the blessing of it is that if you have this kind of life that Jesus gives, it changes everything. All right. It's the quality and quantity of life. It's not just Zoe life is your life will be transformed on earth with a godly quality, but there is an eternal quality to it as well. And that's clear from the various verses where it speaks of Jesus giving this kind of life to us, which we're not going to go and look at today. That's, that's not my, my focus. My focus is to take you somewhere else. So we're going to be looking at His coming was foretold, His birth, that supernatural birth, His life, His sinless life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His seatedness, as king, and then his coming again. These are things which distinguish and separate Jesus from all others. That's what makes him so special. So on our little route to school, the question would come, so children, what makes Jesus special? And then I get a whole lot of answers and then I'd have to give them seven points so that they can have it from scripture. So in the big narrative, the meta-narrative, the big story of life and all this world, the Bible very clearly and succinctly and in those first three chapters describes how it all began, all right? The book of beginnings, Genesis, describes in the first three chapters how it all began. And in that space, we get this verse. In Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, "'The Lord God took the man "'and put him in the garden of Eden "'to work it and keep it. "'And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, "'You shall surely eat of every tree in the garden. "'He provided abundantly.'" But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Now, when God prohibits us from something, this is just an aside. I'm just throwing this in. No extra charge. You can, just, you can take this one for free this morning. Okay, so when God says no to something or he puts a boundary on something, it's not because he's a killjoy. It's because he's protecting us from something. When God says, this I've given as a blessing, then you, you can enjoy that. But when he says, this is a no, it's wise to not go there. Those who go there will find that they hurt and bruise themselves, break themselves, open the door for the enemy's work in their lives. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. God prohibited them from eating from one tree. Everything else in the garden was for their enjoyment and good. But there was a no-go area. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, here's my question to you. Most of you have read that Genesis account, and you know how the story goes, all right? I'm not going to read it all because that's going to take a bit of time. But fast forward into the end of chapter 3. Were Adam and Eve still alive after they'd eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Physically, they were still walking around. Would you agree? They covered themselves with leaves to hide their shame. Emotionally, they were still alive because they felt shame. They were trying to cover and hide from it. Spiritually, there was something that had died because their contact and walking closely with their covenant creator had been broken. That relationship had been severed, tarnished, um, maimed, buckled, Distorted. And the distortion was particularly in Adam and Eve's side. They, the ones who felt the shame. They, the ones who were hiding. They, the ones who were now reclusing and trying to withdraw from the one who they used to walk with in the cool of the garden, is the phraseology that's used, I believe. And so there, there is an impact for going where God says we shouldn't go. But fortunately, right there at the beginning, and the reason we're going here is because this is the start of the journey of the proclamation and prophecy of what the Messiah would come and do, right here at the beginning. There was this brokenness of relationship between Adam and Eve themselves, between Adam and Eve and God, and even Adam and Eve and nature, now by the sweat of their brow they would produce, producing of children, would have increased labor pains, there was a whole lot of an impact as a result of this broken covenant with God. Let me read some of it to you. Genesis chapter 3 verse 14 says, the Lord God said to the serpent, now the serpent had come down from living in the heavenly realms. The book of Revelation chapter 12 talks about that, the fact that the ancient serpent, Satan the devil. So he was the one in the garden, makes it clear and I can't go through all the texts which make it clear that it's referring to him, but that's why we need all of scripture. But that ancient serpent gets a prophecy and a proclamation at the beginning as well. Because you've done this, what did he do? He sowed doubt in Eve's mind. He said, this, this fruit is good for you. You will know good and evil. Did God really say? Deceives. And he gets Adam and Eve to the point where they eat of the fruit. So there's this beguiling. Why? Because he comes to rob, kill, and destroy. The enemy is still working in those same ways. He sows doubt. How can that be bad? How can God say that that's bad when it feels so good? How can God say that that's how the enemy comes? You will reap destruction if you take the enemy's sowings. But if you take the Lord's sowings, God's good sowings, you will reap abundant life is where we're going today. And that you find in Jesus. Anyway, because you've done all this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat. I'll put enmity between you and the woman. See, the enemy is against us. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now notice it says he, all right, he. This offspring of the woman, singular, he. A male child is to come. Seed, singular, he, is to come. And the prophecy here is that he will come and that he will, what does it say? He will bruise the head of the enemy. Even though the enemy will strike his heel, he will bruise the head of the enemy. This unpacks through scripture, but this is the first prophetic utterance about Jesus we're going to have a look at some of the others as the weeks go on but this is the starting point there is a seed and he becomes the savior seed singular okay that argument is made in the book of Galatians that it's seed singular not seed plural so it's not just offspring generally but offspring as in one offspring zera is the Hebrew and it can mean seed singular or plural so it's a little bit confusing but it becomes clear as the book of Galatians is revealed that it's seed singular. Paul makes that argument. And it's referring to Jesus who was the Savior. We're not going to go and look at all those scriptures again. Take it from me. And if you uh, want to go and look it up, you just click on your study Bible and it'll open up before you and they'll give you the text to go and look at in Galatians, Revelation 12 and various verses in the New Testament which speak about what Jesus came to do to undo the work of the devil. So this is the prophecy that a seed will come. If you consider the books of the Bible, and if you say, what is the key verse referring to Jesus in each book? After Genesis, what is the next book? Exodus. And it prophesies about a lamb who will take away the sins of the world. The next book is Leviticus, which speaks about a... Now, there are many other verses which refer to Jesus within them, but I'm just going to a highlight. Leviticus, speaks about a scapegoat who will be sent into the desert and take away the sins of the world. The book of Numbers speaks about a snake who will be raised like on a cross. And that would bring deliverance from the plague of snakes and the destruction which the snake brings. It's amazing as you go through it. And you go, you just, all you need to do is look at the highlights of each book and what they Reference forward to. And then you find those references in the New Testament, which make it clear that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that Jesus is the scapegoat, that Jesus is the one who was raised on a tree, that if we look to Him, whatever the snake comes to bring can be destroyed. Now, we're not gonna go and look at all those texts today, but I'm just giving you a little bit of a, a hint and a highlight of where we're going with some of this. What we're looking at today is that the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. We're not focusing on that. That's what He's come to do. But we are focusing on Jesus who has come to give life and to give it more abundantly. So not a longer biological life or not just a fixed mental and soul life, but He's giving you spiritual God kind of life in its quality and its quantity. In its quality and its quantity. So eternal life refers to a lot more than just a blessed and happy life here on earth. It refers to an ongoing life in the garden with Him again. What was lost in the garden will be restored. We will be in that place of abundance, of 12 crops, of all that has been presented there as Scripture has it. So there's a wonderful fullness spoken of in this verse and it's on offer to us who put our trust in Jesus. So I'm going to have a look at John chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, I made reference to this, in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have this eternal life. He said, I want that abundant life. I want that abundant life, Andrew. Well, let me tell you how it came about. Someone was lifted up so that you could have abundant life. There's this great transfer. There's someone who was a substitution, who became a substitute for you, who suffered what you were to suffer. And if you put your trust in Him, you will get this eternal life, this ongoing Zoe, this life which comes. And so in John chapter three, reading on, it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, so he comes by night. The indication is that he didn't really want others to know that he was there. He's part of the Jewish ruling party, but he sees this rabbi Jesus and he knows there's something special about him. He says, rabbi, we know that you are the teacher. We know. He's actually coming representing others, it seems. We know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him." When you start talking about Jesus with anyone, he, he, it's it's like some people immediately get excited, others are intrigued, and others are very anti. There are not many people who are just ambivalent. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Most people have some sort of a view. Why? Because the reality is revealed in scripture and revealed by the fact that the church continues to march on and grow and there are believers proclaiming everywhere that there must be something that we need to know about this Jesus and so Nicodemus he, he he's realized he's cottoned on and some of those who are with him are wanting to know now so they go to Jesus by night and so Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, here we have one of those, you know, people go to Jesus with a question or a thought or whatever. And then it seems as though he's gone on a tangent. The like, you know, guy's saying, you clearly are a teacher sent from God. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, I'm so glad you've noticed that. What is it that you've noticed? And oh, yeah, you saw that miracle. And, and now they get into a conversation about that. No, he goes straight for Nicodemus' heart. It's not like, oh, well, well done to you Pharisees. You finally cottoned on. You two can also come and join my discipleship group if you want. And we'll also go and travel around the hills together. You know, I go from town to town and preach. He goes straight for his heart. Here's the issue, Nicodemus. Here's the issue. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That's what Nicodemus's need is, to come into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom which Jesus is ushering in. That's where the issue lies. And the way you enter that kingdom is you get born again. It's made so clear here. So Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He's thinking in earthly terms, which is what we, we keep doing, don't we? <laughs> Even though we've been believers for years. We go and we read the Scriptures and it says abundant life. And then we start praying for our bank account to be full because some other preacher preached that somewhere and we've got all weird associations <laughs> instead of what true Zoe life is in our lives. We, we, that's Nicodemus. Oh, how can you enter again? Because he's not seeing what the problem of mankind is. Even though he knows the book of Genesis, he knows that something died there. He knows that that's the problem. He knows that something needs to be made alive again. That's what being born again is speaking about. He knows that Ezekiel prophesied that the, that the old heart of stone needs to be made into a heart of flesh. Something needs to be transformed on the inside. That's what the Bible's talking about. It's that change which needs to take place. That's Jesus. Jesus can do that. We start the year and we, we want this to go well and we have this goal and we have that goal. But I tell you what, let's have a look at Jesus and see what He's done for us. Let's live in the abundant life He has given. Let's live in the fullness of that. You know what the problem with us is? This is what one of the authors that I've been reading says, is that we go to the Bible and we look at the heroes of the Bible. So not Jesus, but the other heroes, you know, the human heroes who embrace something from God and we say, we identify with aspects of their lives, which is good. I mean, that process is good because we learn from it and we, God does speak through those things, absolutely. So we identify with Joseph's story. We identify with Judah's story. We identify, and we learn from them. We wanna be something like them. We wanna be made a hero in our own story. Isn't that right? I wanna tell you who the hero in your story is. It's Jesus. Jesus. We keep getting it wrong, isn't it? We, 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 we want to become the hero in our story. Jesus is the hero in our story. We need to humble ourselves and recognize him, worship him, honor him, because he is the true hero in our stories. That's what we need. And so that's what Nicodemus needed a little bit of right here. Unless you're born again, you're not gonna enter the kingdom. And it goes on to talking about what Jesus goes on to say. As he asks, can a man enter a second time? Jesus answered, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God." That phrase is argued about by theologians. Does water refer to physical birth or baptism, and spiritual birth refer to being born again? Most of them land on this, though, that the spirit birth is the birth given by the Spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God unless he has that borning, that moment of being born in that way. Whether it's baptism or physical birth, you can go and read the books. Clearly, the spiritual birth is what lands you in the kingdom. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, which is why many say that that water birth is the breaking of waters, so that you get your physical birth and then your spiritual birth, because the sentence after it says that. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit, capital S, is spirit, small s, and that's what we want. We want to be born of the spirit. Now, for most of you in this room, that has happened. At some point, when you look to Jesus for salvation, that's what happened to you. You say, well, oh, I didn't know that's what happened to me. I just put my trust in Jesus. That's the beauty of Scripture. As you come to it, you find out what's actually happened to you and the journey that you're on. Because not everyone gets saved by looking at this text. They get saved by various other texts and moments in their lives. But this text does describe what happened to you. Do not marvel that I say to you, must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You can't accurately say, this is what the wind's doing now, but as the word of God is preached, God starts to work in people's hearts. So even this morning, maybe you're sitting here and you realize that is what I need. I need to be born again. I need that change which Nicodemus needed. It's like this message is for me today. Maybe this message is for a friend of yours and you want to send them the link of this sermon afterwards so that they can understand clearly what it is to have abundant life. God kind of life, not biological life not a renewed psychological life, but Zoe, eternal life in its quality and its quantity. What only Jesus can give. That which was, if we look at the big narrative as the Bible describes it, right at the beginning it says, mankind was there, they were given a garden, they could eat of every tree, but they were told not to eat of this tree. If they eat of this tree, they will surely die. What dies, that dies. That is what needs to be born again. How is it born again? It's born again by looking to the one who was raised on a tree. By looking to the one who was the seed of a woman. By looking to the one who was the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we could go on through the books. His name is Jesus, which means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. So, I know that's not a new message to many of you sitting here, but it's a nice reminder at the beginning of the year that we are a people who are wanting to walk with Jesus. We want to know Him. We want to know the life that He gives. Now, what can happen as life goes, our goals, visions, directions, things, plans, all the things that come at us, things that beset us, problems, sicknesses, da 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 da, da. We just want the Savior to be the solver of all those things here on this earth. And we lose sight of this glorious truth that we have been given eternal life in Him. That is abundant in its quality and abundant in its quantity. It'll go on forever and ever. But this morning I wanted to remind you of that and start to just sow the idea of some of these big things which separate Jesus from any other human that ever walked on this earth because he wasn't just human. He was the God-man. He came full of the life of God, fully divine yet fully human. You say, well, how can that be? That is the mystery of Scripture, but that is our Jesus. He's the Savior of the world.